Welcome to this week's Wireless Noodle. Today, I want to share some thoughts on Nokia's new data marketplace platform, the IoT connectivity landscape, and autonomous robotic systems. My name is Matt Hatton. This is the Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. A few months ago, Nokia launched a textbook version of what we term the data exchange platform. Every so often, as an analyst, a new product comes along that fits perfectly with how you see the market. In this case, the launching question was Nokia's data marketplace. This new product sits squarely in the market space that we describe in one of our 12 digital transformation technology families, specifically the data exchange and clearinghouse functionality within our data sharing category. This is a market space I've been pushing for quite some time, but there's really only a limited number of properly evolved offerings. The pick of the bunch have probably been Deutsche Telekom's Data Intelligence Hub and KPN's Data Services Hub. Nokia's offering is a white label as a service solution. So that's our first big tick. Big box telecom equipment providers have had their fingers burnt with their communication service provider clients in the past. So it's sensible instead to build a product for the CSPs to take to market rather than trying to compete with them. The second big plus is that it provides most of the key functionality for access control, policy control, validation settlement that we would expect to see. Now, let me take a step back. Let me explain what data exchange is. This is the idea of monetizing exhaust data from IoT applications, maybe from AI, from all sorts of data-rich processes that produce a set of data that might be valuable to third parties. Now, this might take the form of organizations sharing data along a supply chain, you know, when are my carrots going to be ready? Well, they've just been picked and they're, and then they're being bundled up and then they're being shipped to here and then they're going to make it into store at, at that time. You've got lots of, lots of constituent parts who would all value being able to exchange data along the supply chain. Or take a smart city. It's really useful for people to be able to build apps that drag in data on public transport information, for instance. So an organisation like TFL, Transport for London, makes information available to third parties, to more or less anybody who wants to build an app, on what time buses are due, what time the trains are running, and so on and so forth. Real-time information. Very valuable, great for creating new and useful applications. So this is about sharing data. There's also potentially a commercial element. What you could do is say, I am creating all of this data and I want to commercialize it. So someone like IBM's weather channel, they have a huge amount of data about the weather. And that data will be useful to all sorts of people to turn into applications or more likely plug into applications. So this is about combining sets of data often. And there they'll be looking to commercialize it, sell it, micropayments or subscription fees or something along those lines variety of different ways it can can work. And that's where Nokia has delved in. There's a number of interesting features to the platform. It's provisioned on a broker model. 
it handles access controls and rights. So it doesn't host the data, but it provides a brokerage service connecting people with data with people who want to access that data. Another interesting feature, it makes significant use of blockchain for the associated smart contracts, which deal with the legal elements of agreement to buy and sell data or trade data. It also allows for AI orchestration, which is not a set of functionality we've seen from other vendors. Now, a lot of the interest in these data exchanges is based on IoT. That's effectively where I came to data exchanges from. But it's worth noting that it's not IoT specific. A lot of the great use cases for data exchanges are based on IoT data. After all, these are devices that create real-time data, very valuable information coming from the field. So they are ripe candidates for being plugged into a data exchange and that people might find benefit in acquiring. Uh, but it's not solely that. Typically, as mentioned before, it's about combining sources of data. And Nokia's product recognizes this. It's focusing a lot of attention on IoT, but inevitably recognizes there's a need for integration with other data sets. Nokia is also clearly interested in helping the CSP adopters to commercialize product, clearly conscious uh, that they might not be immediately aware, the CSPs this is, of how they might commercialize it. For that reason, it's built business model support for some specific applications. There's a number of predefined use cases, mostly around IoT, including supply chain, car parking, a bunch more. Currently focused on transport, energy, smart cities, and a few others. And these are solid choices. It tends to be in these three, transport, energy, smart cities, that we see data exchanges having the greatest potential. Smart cities, because the data is typically easy to share. I mentioned the TFL example. Well, the benefit of TFL is for getting people more efficiently through London. They don't care about monetizing it. And so they would typically make more data available to more people. So that tends to be a good choice. Both transport and energy have multiple stakeholders and also have a vested interest in sharing data in a timely fashion. So they're also good choices. I can't go into too much detail now on the concept of the data marketplace, but if you really want to understand more about uh, features, functionality, architecture and the Transform Insights view on the uh, strengths and weaknesses of, of data marketplace specifically, we published a report recently called Nokia Data Marketplace is a strong play for the emerging data exchange market, but too oriented towards closed user groups. And you can probably tell from the title that there is a little caveat on our positive views on this solution. One of the big issues is that it's too heavily focused on closed user groups rather than being truly about multi-tenanted systems where everybody can sell to everybody. This itself raises the question of why use blockchain? If the system is essentially trustful, why blockchain? And also raises the question of why the payment mechanism seems to be provisioned as, as an adjacent system rather than an integrated part of the offering. But I have to say, as a first part of an offering to fit into this space, it looks good. It's also good news for data center partner Equinix as it looks to find new ways to operate in an agile orchestration role rather than going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the hyperscale.
Back in May, I published a long gestating report on the future of wide area network connectivity for enterprise IoT. While the technology shift in the coming decade is quite interesting, with the maturing of both 5G and LPWA technologies and the greater impact from satellite and so forth, it's the commercial changes that will be the most interesting to watch. We'll see a very definite evolution in the relationship between mobile network operators, MVNOs and equipment vendors. I talked in the piece about Nokia about how the equipment vendors, like Nokia, don't want to be competing with the network operators. Yes, true. But in an environment where network operators are increasingly moving to open RAN, which is effectively open source equipment manufactured by uh, pretty much anybody. This puts competitive pressure onto the traditional infrastructure vendors, Ericsson, Huawei, Nokia. So they're under competitive pressure from the MNOs. Well, maybe the gloves come off them. Maybe the equipment vendors want to start competing more aggressively with network operators, particularly in spaces like private networks. You don't need a mobile network operator to throw up a, a private network for a factory or a campus. But it, it, currently, the trend seems to be for the network operator to be the lead and the infrastructure vendor to play a supporting role. It doesn't have to always be so. And thinking about mobile network operators versus MVNOs, we've recently seen quite marked changes in the commercial relationships in the last few months for wholesale and roaming, with some strong indications that network operators are going to get tougher, particularly on sponsored permanent roaming. The arrival of eSIM also makes it all the more complicated, certainly the commercial arrangements between the various parties. Or you could look at it another way, maybe it makes it more simple for network operators. If you've got eSIM, all you need is the mobile network operators to agree amongst themselves that when a device enters their territory, it will localize onto the network of one of the local operators. Mitigates the need for MVNOs at all. But typically, network operators haven't been that great at collaborating with each other. You look at some of the IoT and M2M alliances that we saw launched in well, the first half of the last decade the M2M World Alliance, which became the IoT World Alliance and the Global M2M Association. All interesting in terms of talking shops, but not much commercial benefit. And I suspect that might be the same with eSIM. And that creates and maintains that arbitrage opportunity for eSIM from MVNOs. And finally, in terms of the opportunity in the wide area network space, Increasingly, we see hyperscale cloud providers interjecting themselves into the market in a very meaningful way. And those things that I've spoken about just there are just scratching the surface. There's a lot of change coming. Another bit of Transformer Insights research that I wanted to highlight was about what we term Autonomous Robotic Systems, which is one of our 12 digital transformation technology families, along with data sharing, which I was speaking about earlier. In total, we expect 345 million robots that are autonomous or capable of behaving autonomously to be in service by 2030, a tenfold increase over the decade. Mostly, uh, these aren't sophisticated things. It's personal assistance robots like Roombas. 
That's in terms of the volume of devices. But value-wise, it's largely in manufacturing for production line equipment and so forth, and in health and social care. Surgical robots, for instance. The manufacturing side of things is particularly interesting to watch. The combination of economic nationalism, industrial automation, things like industrial IoT, Industry 4.0 and so on, and COVID's exposure of issues with supply chain means onshoring and manufacturing will be a key trend of the 2020s. We expect globalisation to increasingly give way to distributed and often additive manufacturing. And worth noting, when we talk about autonomous robotic systems, autonomous vehicles do feature in that consideration, but there are very few out there. A fair amount of use of off-road vehicles for mines and other controlled campus environments, fine. Fleets of road vehicles in the next 10 years, nope. The technology is just not there yet. And I don't think we've got any way near far enough down the line to say we can expect autonomous vehicles, truly autonomous vehicles, within the 2020s. I'll put a link to that report on the Wireless Noodle website. And on a related note, something that struck me recently, there is a disingenuous obsession in the technology community with telling us that new technology will create rather than destroy jobs. For a lot of technologies, certainly the ones that we look at, things like robotic process automation, but also automated robots, eliminating the need for an employee is the absolute raison d'etre of the technology. We need to be honest about this. But also, on the flip side, we also need to recognise that the world doesn't need to keep creating and maintaining jobs at the rate it has been. In most of Europe, there is a declining population already. In a generation, by 2040, China will be the same. A declining population. Another generation after that, the other big one, India, will be declining, plus Brazil and many more. In many rich countries, the generation entering the workforce today is the biggest it will ever be. And we need to find ways to replace what they do with something automated, because there's not another worker who will step into their shoes. We need to embrace our robot workers and the fact that they replace people, because we're going to need them to cope with an aged population. And finally, I've talked a lot about mobile private networks on the podcast, and I wanted to steer you in the direction of an interview that I did with Stefan Daubler of Nokia. A lot of Nokia being discussed recently, but anyway, a private networks uh, interview that I did with him in IoT Now. Fantastic interview. If anybody wants to really understand what's going on in mobile private networks, then I would thoroughly recommend reading that. I was given a uh, a maximum length that the interview needed to be, and we ran over it quite substantially because the quality of the material was just uh, just so high. So, give that one a give that one a read. Final reminder: if you are enjoying the podcast, please do leave me a review. It is much appreciated. Next week, I will be talking about mobile virtual network operators and. Uh, EveryNet's US LoRaWAN deployment and a few other 
interesting things. Oh, a bit about value chains as well. I hope you can join me. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A, 